You're listening to the TNT Effect, the Athletes Podcast. This is the podcast where athletes discuss their journey and sports professionals talk about how they support these athletes. I'm your host, Dr. Tierra Roll. Let's get into today's episode. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Brandon Mines. He is board certified in family practice and sports medicine. So welcome, Dr. Mines. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. It's It's been a long time since I last saw you, and that was in 2009. You were a team physician for the Atlanta Dream. And for those who don't know, they are a WNBA team. And so to this day, you're still head team physician, correct? Correct. Correct. And how has it been um, all these years working with the Atlanta Dream? It's been it's been a real good adventure. Um, you know, when we first started, you know, it was our the league or the, our team was just had just started. Right. So we were just putting everything together. Um, I believe it was 2008. So over the years, it was, you know, it's been a lot of learning along the way figuring out what works best, the logistics of taking care of athletes and, and all those things that come along with it. But we've had a lot of good uh, team players on both sides, the Dream and Emory Healthcare that really helped put everything together and keep it going. Were you able to travel or spend any amount of time in the bubble with them? Or did they have like specific physicians that they had who stayed in a bubble or maybe a handful who rotated in and out? Yeah, when when they were planning the bubble, they the WNBA <clears throat> league officials were trying to see if there were any team doctors who would be available to go down to the bubble. But it's really a hard call just because of the amount of time you'd have to quarantine before you could go in the bubble and how long you would be in the bubble. It just would take a lot from your practice. So what they ended up doing was they had some local physicians that basically work at that sports facility where they played. And they also were able to have some sports medicine physicians from outside the bubble go into the bubble. So um, Cindy Chang, she's a very uh, well-respected sports medicine physician um, that takes takes care of lots of sports. So she was down there taking care of all the teams for several weeks. And then another uh, team physician for the Chicago Sky came down there and was there. And they were always paired up with the local physician in the bubble. So they had a lot of work. I mean, it was only at most probably two to four doctors, you know, some, some nurse practitioners, a few things like that. But, but um, I couldn't go just from my own obligations and clinical requirements, but, but we stayed connected, right. Talking to those doctors down there and, you know, everybody kept us in the loop. So it was, it was an interesting take on everything, but I think it worked out. I can imagine that being difficult to leave practice for so long and, and then also leave your families too, for, for a long period of time as well. And so now you're in green Bay with the um, Atlanta Falcons and you are also a team physician for them as well. And this is game or week, what, four? Week four, yeah. Okay. And so how is that going? Because <laughs> there isn't a bubble for the NFL right now. So how are you guys moving and navigating through that? Yeah, it's um, we have a lot of um, protocols in place that the NFL has devised with the help of physicians and the players association so that we're trying to be as safe as possible with, you know, uh, testing and social distancing and kind of best practices. Right. So it's, it's tough because guys, like you said, they're not in a bubble. They are with their families, but you kind of, it's almost like, it's almost like voting. Like every vote counts. It's like every guy counts, right? You all have to do the right thing so that everybody doesn't get sick. And so 
as you know, some things have happened in other teams where there's been some, some positive testing, but you know, it's just, it's just a, one day at a time and, and trying to do the right thing. That's basically what it boils down to. If you can speak on it, uh, what are some protocols and things that you all have put in place? Yeah, it's essentially, it has to do with the things you've already heard about where, you know, social distancing, you know, even in the facility and everywhere you are, you have to be six feet away from other, other people. Then we have these, these little track, uh, tracking devices, tracing devices, right. That will, you can go back and look at and say, Oh, you were next to this person for too long. So they can tell you tomorrow, like, Hey, you got to be careful. Don't do that next time. So there's tracking that way, you know, hand washing stations and sanitation stations for your hand hands and things like that. Um, and then really just daily follow-up with the head athletic trainer and the coach kind of talking about, hey, how did it go yesterday? Did we miss anything? Were, were, were guys doing what they're supposed to do? So you can kind of make on-the-fly adjustments to it. I mean, outside of that, it's really just a bunch of logistical things like, oh, only so many people on a bus and so many people on a plane and things like that. And everybody knows there's daily testing for all the for everybody. So there's that's a big hurdle, which is really a new thing in in sports people aren't weren't really testing like pcr testing daily like that so that's been some some challenges but but so far for the most part it's working i guess we'll see as we get into flu season and (laughs) winter time but yeah now how does that work for okay you talked about all of the the um logistics but from a human side we like to connect and interact and then especially when you're working with a team there's that level of camaraderie amongst brothers and you know female athletes and everybody who's on the team like is it weird that that energy has to be disconnected and maybe even weird yeah I think I think it's a challenge I agree that how do you strictly adhere to the social distancing um, without having those social interactions and I think that's the challenge the league has is that you know guys are going to interact with each other you know they come up to you they say hey you know fist bump elbow you know you're trying to like you know be like you said like a human socially conscious human being but at the same time don't overexpose yourself so it's a challenge and I think what they're doing is they're hoping that you know can you balance what people are naturally going to do with can you keep this COVID under control by taking care of yourself outside the facility all the testing, because there's nothing perfect, right? I mean, you can get it anywhere. I mean, look at, you know, President Trump, right? Like, it's probably one of the best bubbles. And, you know, so anybody can get it, but it's just a matter of, you know, how you handle it and make that balance, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. So what other sports have you worked with or do you work with? So uh, I also work with the Atlanta Hawks. I'm basically a team physician where I help cover some games throughout the year, probably, you know, six to eight games per year where I'm at, you know, at, at games helping out with medical coverage and sometimes some orthopedic coverage. And then uh, more of a medical consultant, medical director position with Clark Atlanta university um, and some high schools in the area where I'm kind of overseeing how things are running and, and managing some of those sports medicine aspects. So say a game, you're at a game and an injury occurs. What is your role? Because you have athletic trainers. What is your role when an injury happens? Obviously, if it's a, a medical emergency, 
um, then you're most likely the one who takes the lead. But in other just, you know, orthopedic type situations, what is your role in those scenarios? So would you would you mean with any particular team or just in general? In general. In general. So basically, you know, athletic trainers, certified athletic trainers are very skilled in their position and we work as a team. So whenever I'm covering an event, I'm watching, I'm paying attention. If somebody gets hurt, I'm paying attention to, well, what's going on? And like, let's say it's an ankle sprain where I'm watching how it's being handled. And generally speaking, I have that communication with the athletic trainers where we can look at each other or hand signal like, oh, hey, doc, I need your assistance here with this player. But because the athletic trainers are always taking care of these things, I let them go with the initial management and evaluation. And then when it's time uh, appropriately for me, for me to kind of get in there and check, then I'll go check, check the athlete. It may be on the bench. It may be at the end of a particular period. Um, or it could be on the field. If it's like, oh, yeah, well, it's some orthopedic injury we got to get to now, then we get on top of it. So it just kind of depends on on the level of it, uh, severity, I guess, of the injury. So as I mentioned, like if it's a medical emergency, then you're like, you're, you're on top of it, right? Right. So like we'll have that with yeah, concussion, like people get loss of consciousness or there's something that seems obvious, then we'll kind of activate emergency action plans and kind of get into it quickly um, as opposed to other lower risk scenarios. Mm-hmm. And so transitioning from the field or the court into the clinic, what does your role look like in a clinical setting? And it could be um, maybe a follow-up from that injury, or even if we're talking about um, preseason and you're doing like preseason um, pre-participation examinations and things of that nature. Yeah. So, so the clinic is that I work in is basically set up for you know outpatient orthopedic injuries, right? So someone sprains something, hurts something, they're not sure what's going on. Uh, they come into the clinic and I'm evaluating them for an orthopedic injury. We may have some x-rays and we're determining the treatment plan for that patient. And if that patient happens to be an athlete, then, you know, I can communicate with the athletic trainer and, and the coaches and we come up with a plan for return to play. If it's someone not on the team, then I make sure they have community-based plan, whether it's physical therapist or what the follow-up is going to be. So we, we kind of go with it that route. Um, sometimes there are, uh, pre-participation examinations that we'll do in the clinic, primarily with, if it's uh, certain high schools or certain college teams, then we may do something like that, which um, just kind of depends. But that's that's how the, my clinical setting would work. Okay. And what does the, the PPE consist of? Yeah, so the PPE is, it consists of a few things. You're basically thinking about it like a screening test. You don't want to miss anything important that could be really catastrophic or, or problematic in the athlete as they're playing a sport. So the first part is really, you know, history where you're going over, have you ever had this problem, this surgery, this, this type of injury? Uh, there's a big emphasis on cardiovascular health. So there'll be questions on, have you ever had chest pain, passing out, racing hard, like things like that. Has anyone in your family had sudden cardiac death? Because you really you want to catch somebody who's at risk for sudden cardiac death, which is one of those things that we have a hard time, you know, managing because it's so sudden, obviously, by the name. So you can try to get some historical data on that. You're trying to see if there's any orthopedic risk factors where you can catch some of these questions like, oh, I've had ACL surgery or this or that. 
and then there are, there's also questions about you know, psychological questions about are you happy with your weight or you know do you are you happy with your sport for women's health there's important questions on you know um basically bone health and and you know disordered eating or just kind of a lot of these things that athletes run into that you may not just ask on a normal kind of if you're just talking to somebody unless it's on a sheet to remind you right so that that's the main historical component and then there's all the the i guess the data right where you're getting vital signs height weight good physical orthopedically and medically where you're doing heart lungs and checking everything you can and then you give them a guidance on there and say hey you know, here's what you need to do. I think you're cleared or you're cleared with these recommendations that you need to get this checked out or get your ankle rehab or whatever, or you're not cleared because I'm concerned about a possible cardiac problem. So you need to go do this test. So it's not saying someone can't, you know, you're never going to play a sport, but it's just a screening test to say, you know what, if we don't like what we see, then we got to do a little bit more, you know, digging to make sure that you're safe to play the sport. Absolutely. Working with the the various sports that you do work with, what are some common injuries? And you can go maybe sport to sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, with basketball, you would say, you know, ankle sprains, um, they're going to dislocate fingers and jam fingers, uh, a lot of a lot of shoulders just because, you know, taking charges and, and by nature of how they're playing and how you have to shoot, you can get some of these shoulder injuries. Not a lot of concussions in basketball, like every now and then you'll see that. Whereas in football, you know, it's, you know, concussions are big, um, ACL injuries, you know, just soft tissue injuries, hamstring pulls, um, ankle sprains, those types of things. I mean, of course, with football, I mean, everything's fair game. You hurt, everybody hurts everything. <laughs> just what's at the top of the list. But those are, I think, the more popular injuries or more common injuries, I'd say, um, that you see in those sports. Dealing with that player who is injured and they're not quite ready to return to sport. How do you handle those situations? And they're kind of like, I want to go back and play. Yeah. How do you, you know, hopefully convince them that you're not ready and you should really take the time to recover? Yeah. Um, I think you can think about it from, for example, there's the immediate reason why you can't go back. We're on the sideline. Here's, here's the reasons why it's easy when you say you want to play, but your ankle hurts, go ahead and cut and run. Oh, so you can't do it. You can't, you can't play. And you try to explain that from the standpoint of you're, you know, you're not helping your team by being so limited and you're not helping yourself because you can hurt something else because you're not, you're not effective right now. The, the tough part is, you know, like you, probably the other part of your question, which is, well, what if it's, four days later and they, they want to go back or some return to play question. We try to pull out data. Some people respond to data where we can say, Hey, you know, based on your quad strength or your hamstring strength or this type of hamstring strain, you may feel like you can go back, but 85% of people who go back with this injury, get re-injured. So it's not in your best interest. You know, you try to try to kind of blend that in. Um, and it's cause the, the easiest thing I think is showing somebody what it's like because you may they may think they're ready but then when you have them try to do things it's like they can see like oh yeah you're right i guess i guess i'm not ready you know and then when all else fails you have to remind them that i'm there to protect them as their physician that means i have to sometimes protect them from themselves like my job is to know the medical and orthopedic risks of this sport 
So if I have to be the bad person and say, look, you know, you're not ready. It's not safe for you to go back. And here are the reasons why. Um, I mean, perfect example, someone gets mononucleosis, they have to sit out a few weeks because of possible spleen injury, right? So they will feel fine. Like, doc, it's been two weeks. I feel fine. Like, well, here's why you shouldn't play. Like, if I let you go back, something bad could happen. So you're trying to explain that to them and just kind of put your foot down there. But most, most people get it. They usually don't get into a battle with it. So, Okay, what about that player who's been out six months, nine months, maybe even a year, and they're on that cusp of just being ready, but there are like a few little functional tests or different things that they may maybe haven't quite passed them just yet, um, but they're feeling great, feeling amazing. And you're just like, just a little bit longer, but they're like, why, why not? Why not now? Yeah. So, so if I think, I think when those situations, you have to look at all the, the factors at play. So sometimes that's going to be, what is the risk of injury? What is the, you know, what is the need of the team? What is the need of the athlete? It depends on the sport, depends on the level of sport. I've dealt with professional athletes where, you know, they really want to play and maybe they're not at risk for injuring something that bad, but maybe they're just not quite as effective and it's better for them to, to just get out there and do the best they can and hopes that, you know, because they have other factors that play contracts and agents and team obligations. Right. So it's always boils down to safety. Right. So if they're, if they're missing the marks, like you said, on some few, points or somewhere like oh your quad strength isn't just quite there or your range of motion is just off as long as we think it's safe and you're close then it's the then you bring in coaches and gms and like hey they're not 100 they're maybe 90 percent i don't think they're gonna hurt themselves but that's all you're gonna get okay so if you want to go out there if we wait three or four weeks i think they'll be 100 percent. what's more important so then you have to have that conversation so yeah that makes a lot of sense and so um, moving on into working with particularly your, your youth athletes and, of course, you're having to deal with parents and all those different things. When it comes to the development, working with those athletes as they're going through the different sports, um, you know, what is your recommendation when it comes to uh, a young athlete specifically playing one sport year round versus being a multi-sport athlete? Yeah, um, we we like the ability for athletes to get more experiences in other sports. I mean, there's various studies that show, um, you know, it's a good thing to, you know, just going in different sports, learning different skill sets and how that translates to other sports. So there are certain sports that studies show you should focus on at a young age and like that's all you're supposed to do, like gymnastics and certain things, right? But for the most part, you're going to be a better athlete if the younger athlete can actually, oh, I do baseball and I do football or I do softball and I do field hockey or whatever, um, just because you, you learn different things. And, and I think that that's key. I would always encourage a parent to encourage their kid to like, look, we need to do some different sports. Now, I know it gets hard with some of the level, you know, like travel baseball and AAU basketball, all these things. It's kind of like you're kind of sucked into doing all these things, but you know, it's, I, I, I definitely think it's in the best interest to get some varied sports in there. Now, um, does some of that single sport focus play into some of the injuries that some of these kids have? 
So, yeah, we, we think so. And it, and it could be just because of the intensity or just the repetition. So like if you're playing baseball year round, like let's say, you know, you don't get a break from baseball and you're, you're pitching all the time and you don't have proper rest, then you can get some of these growth plate injuries or some of these are soft tissue injuries that would have, wouldn't have happened if you switched from baseball to, oh, well, in football, I'm doing this or in basketball, I'm doing that. So it's, it's like anything else. If you just keep doing the same thing over and over, you're just at a higher risk of, of putting in it, getting an injury in there. So I think that's, I mean, that's why we see a lot with just gymnastics, right? I mean, that's, that's what they're doing. I mean, handsprings and, and tumbling and a lot of wrist compression and stress fractures and things like that. Cause they're, that's, that's basically happened through 65 a year. Right. So, so yeah, I think that does factor into it. So you, I think you'd have less injuries if you were more, more varied. Mm-hmm. And so I guess going into some of the best or giving tips on preventing injuries, maybe multi-sport could potentially be one way, um, but also give us some more um, practical ways of preventing injuries. I'd say when you want to, you want to have a game plan in place as far as how you're working out, meaning one of the biggest issues is progressing too fast. So people who, you know, if you try to increase mileage with running too soon, then you're at increased risk for, you know, stress fractures or tendonitis. Uh, same thing with sports. I mean, there's for, for throwing in baseball, you, you know, you have to progress at a gradual rate. You don't go from zero to hundred miles per hour. So kind of depends on what this factor is. Like if you're working within the team setting, then the recommendation would be, Hey, stay in touch with the team athletic trainer and the coaches who are supposed to have the training on, Hey, here's how we have to progress you through this sport. So we're not going too fast and getting overuse injuries. And then on the other side is not trying to do skills that aren't in your skill set yet. Cause then that's how you can get injured. If you try to do things too quickly, like maybe something like gymnastics where you're not ready for that skill, you have to progress. Otherwise you can actually get an acute injury. Right. So it's easier if you're in the team setting. I think if someone was, you know, I don't know, by themselves or like, Oh, I just want to start running or I'm going to start playing tennis. Um, you want to increase gradually. Like let's say you were starting to run then you don't want to run one day and then increase everything the next day. And what I mean by that is the first thing is you're supposed to gradually increase like how often you're out there, right? Just like, Oh, I go two days a week and then three days a week. You can gradually increase the distance you're out there where you say, okay, I'm gonna run a little bit more or you can increase intensity. Like I'm going to pick up the pace and go faster. You don't want to increase all three at once. Like, Oh, tomorrow I'm going to, run further and harder, you know, and longer, you know, or, and, and more frequently this week. Like that's how you set up for injury. So with a new pair of shoes, right? <laughs> right. All that. Got to be gradual. <laughs> gradual. And uh, okay. So strength training can play a role in injury prevention as well. And everybody has their opinion on um, when kids should start. What, um, what does the science say from your experience and, you know, the many years that you've practiced, I guess, what age would be a good time to start strength training? And is that body weight versus actually loading them? So they, they've done studies on this. And what we found out is it, it's really more about um, gaining the ex- experience and kind of feeling like you're a part of the sports 
I don't know, the sports program where you're like, oh, I'm lifting weights. This is what sports are about because you're not going to get a big muscle gain until, until like, for example, boys go through puberty, right? So maybe 11 or 12, then maybe if they're lifting weights, they would see muscle gain, but it's actually okay. Like if you had, and like, sounds crazy. I know like eight year old, like, Oh, what if my eight year old and, and we were lifting weights together? That's okay. It does not stun growth. Now we're not doing major squats and lunges, right? But there's that a little weight and they're just learning how to do it. And they, they've done some studies. And I don't remember off the top of my head, but there's been positives to it. Like, you know, neuromuscular training, um, you know, when they do it. So it's all it has to do with moderation because you're not, you can't push a kid and they're not going to get the strength gains. Right. But maybe they get into a habit. So, but if you're looking for actual, Hey, when can I get these muscle gains? It's really more about that pubertal stage for boys, more like, you know, 11, 12 for girls, maybe, you know, 10 or 11 or something like that. But that that's how I would think about it. Right. And, and one thing, one way that I like to uh, gauge for it is can they master movement before being loaded? And if they can, then you can start adding weight. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. You gotta, you gotta be able to do it with your body. And and if you can do that comfortably, then yeah, then you can add some resistance. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. And um, so now what are some recommendations that you will give younger athletes who want to play on a college level in the, um, at the professional level, what advice would you give them? And also what advice would you give parents? So the advice I'd give is you have to have a good foundation. You need to have an understanding of what it takes to remain healthy. So you have to have good sleep hygiene, good diet, you know, um, how to take care of your body. I think you have to, you know, understand what it means to work within the team concept, meaning, whatever sport you're in, if it's, if it's a team sport, how do you fit into that? And I mean, part of that has to do with, I guess the camaraderie, but also I think just what your responsibilities are. So I think they have to, you have to know how you fit into a team. Um, I think you have to understand how to listen to your body and how to listen to people who are telling you, Hey, you need to work on this. We need to work on that and not overdo it, you know? So that's, that's kind of the main thing. I think it has a lot to do with, with, and also, I mean, understanding like, well, what do, what do we mean by goals of playing in collegiate or professional? I think they also have to understand, you know, most the vast majority of people don't really get to like a division one level or a professional level. So what are you doing if you're 14 and you say, well, we want to go to UGA and then we're going to go play in NFL. Like, okay, it's, I'm all for having goals, but you also have to understand, you know, 0.1% make it or something, you know? So you kind of have to, I think it's important to have other interests. Like what if you can't play professional sports? What else do you like? You know, and how do, how can you match that up into, if you love sports, maybe that's an avenue. Like think about other things in sports that you would like to do, but just have some other plan. That That's, I think that would be important. You touched on a lot of points. So one, um, what does it mean to have good sleep hygiene? Yeah. So good sleep hygiene has to do with making sure your body's in the right place to get, I guess, the proper amount of quality sleep. So that would mean, oh, within maybe, you know, 6 p.m. and later, I won't drink any caffeine or like I'm really watching what I'm putting in my body, um, you know, trying to not expose yourself to too many bright lights too close to bedtime. Maybe you you know, going to, 
maybe turn the lights down or something. And you want to have a consistent bedtime uh, where you're not, I mean, you're not trying to get, go to bed at midnight and get up at 8 a.m. It's better if you did 10 p.m. to 6 because our natural rhythms are, are set a certain way, right? So you want to have a consistent bedtime. You want to try to get at least, for most people, eight hours or something like that. You're trying to get a good amount of sleep. Um, you're trying to stay hydrated. Um, and, and, you know, trying to do things in bed that would affect sleeping, like you shouldn't be working in bed or like working on your computer in the bed, stuff like that. The bed should just be for sleeping. And so that kind of helps your body get into a better sleep routine. So that, those are some of the simple things that we talk about for that. Good points. Good points. Um, before we go, any other advice you'd like to give? I, I would say just, you know, everybody being open to what the athletes are going through. And, and you know, they're kind of, I think, stuck between a rock and a hard place sometimes as far as what their goals are and their skill set. And I think we just have to kind of help them understand that we're on their side progressing through their sport. But I think it's also important to have, you know, a strategy for what else do you like? I mean, it goes for professional athletes. I mean, look at NFL. I mean, who's, well, how long is an NFL career, right? Four to five years. Or if you're lucky, maybe you make it to your mid thirties. Well, you're probably going to live 50 more years after that. So what do you want to do? Right. So I don't think we do enough of like how we treat, you know, talk to kids like, Oh, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, how about when you're already a football player? What do you want to do after you retire? Oh, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. So, or if college, like, I mean, I think we should always keep their future in mind because I think that's important. I mean, that's just kind of one thing I was thinking about. Um, but you know, overall, I just think everybody should, you know, in the sports medicine world, just remain, keep themselves educated, going to conferences, I think participating with multidisciplinary, you know, approach, because I work with sports chiropractors, I work with physical therapists, I work with neuromuscular therapists. I mean, there's, there's something to everybody, everybody has something to offer, and you have to keep an open mind, but your athletes are going to, they're going to do what they want to do, and you need to understand what everybody's doing, and it's, it's going to make you a better athletic trainer or medical provider. It'll make the athletes appreciate you more like, oh, you know, she knew about this neuromuscular treatment I, I was doing or acupuncture or like this other thing. Right. So I think that helps helps you with your career. Right. It helps helps you get a buy in from the athletes that you actually care and you're like on top of it. So, so there's a lot I could say on that, but that, that's kind of things that just jumped in front of my mind. Yeah, the the whole the point about athletes being prepared after their athletic career is important, especially thinking about it at a very early age, because you want to make sure you nurture the um, the passion and help them reach for their goals. But at the same time, sport at some point, it's not going to be your primary thing. So you have to figure out what it is you want to do um, post athletics. And that is so important to start cultivating that at the same time you're cultivating their their sport dream or their athletic dreams right exactly well said (laughs) (laughs) thank you for tuning in today and a special thank you to my guest if you enjoyed today's episode please hit the subscribe button to learn about the sports performance rehab and wellness services provided by dr tiara please go to www.thetntfect.com You can also send questions to info at the TNT effect.com. And remember, a healthy athlete is a whole athlete.